Danny, thank you. And we've already been led in worship in a great way through music and, and prayer and then even greeting one another. Um, in the uh, New Testament, they used to do that with a holy kiss. I don't Not too many churches do that today. Um, they didn't have lipstick back then, I think. I'm not really sure why they didn't do that. But um, it's just so great to have the chance to, to be here again with you all. And it uh, warmed my heart to see some of the Mission New Mexico uh, materials out there. Used to, some of you know it used to be the Harry P. Stag uh, missions uh, offering, and all of those monies stay in New Mexico to do missions right here um, in New Mexico. And so I know you've seen some of the videos and have had a chance to uh, see some of the different things that are happening and have happened through your giving and your support of Mission New Mexico and the cooperative program. We were just looking the other day. We uh, have started 15 new churches in New Mexico in the last five years, and so that's an exciting thing. And we We've got uh, two new churches that are going to be starting in Albuquerque, one in downtown and one in Old Town, um, here towards the end of this year and the beginning of, of next year. And those churches are full of millennials, and that's already about 125 to 150 new people that are worshiping together in those places. And so thank you um, for what you're doing uh, to support the ministry in New Mexico. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Uh, this morning, and we're going to continue. Uh, last time I was here, I had a chance to talk through uh, a message uh, about witnesses of the king, and it was actually in uh, Acts chapter uh, 3, so I'm going to go backwards, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 2 this time. So if you um, remember that, just don't give me a hard time about going backwards. Half my life seems to go backwards, and so I don't know about you. That's just the way that things go sometimes. Um, but I, w- I want to tell you a story about uh, a guy named Ben uh, who came to uh, our, our church. Uh, we were planting a church down in the UNM area uh, about uh, eight years ago, and we were doing these things called missional community groups. And so in these groups, we would gather together, and basically we would eat together, um, we would hang out together, we would um, go just you know do life together. Sometimes we bear one another's burdens. There was lots of things that we would do in these groups. And honestly, I didn't really like Ben that much. And we had started um, two other groups, and Ben started coming to this group, and now, thankfully, he was married, but he married a girl that used to be in my youth group in Farmington, and they got pregnant out of wedlock, um, uh, obviously, before they got married, and I just didn't like Ben, and I didn't want to be around Ben, and the Lord had to really work on my heart to get me to even want to spend time um, with with this guy named Ben. And so we had a lot of people that were praying for Ben. And, and before they got married, Ben was hanging out in our guys' community group. And so they would go play ultimate frisbee at Johnson Field and, you know, uh, go to Buffalo Wild Wings and watch football. And um, then they'd look at scriptures together and, and different things. And, and Ben just kind of kept things at arm's um, length distance. He, he really wasn't interested um, in, in, in God. He was a biology major here at UNM, and he's now graduated from USC Dental School. And so sure Sharp guy, smarter than I was ever going to be. But that's okay because um, he's hanging out with Christians and we're praying for him and he just didn't stand a chance. And so we're hanging out, loving on Ben. We're in missional community with this guy. And um, we sat at our kitchen table a number of times just opening the word and just looking at what God would say. And Ben would ask questions that I had no idea how to answer. And I'd say, I don't know, Ben. 
I'll find out and I'll get back to you. And so finally, I found a book on the Human Genome Project. And the guy that was ahead of that, a guy named Francis Collins, is a book called The Language of God. He was a believer, and he, be- he kind of made the tie between God speaking man into existence, and he kind of tied that into where the human genome be- came from. It was just kind of, it blew my mind. And I gave this book to Ben to read. And through that, through the love of people um, in missional community groups, through God's Word, through prayer, through all these things, Ben then um, got to the point where um, he was getting really close. But right before they were getting ready to move to, this is, I think, about four or five years ago, right before they were getting ready to move to California so he could go to dental school, we just knew the Lord was going to bring him um, to faith. And at that point, he didn't. In fact, they hopped in the moving truck and they moved to California. And I just said, Man, God, I'm having a hard time with this. We've prayed for Ben. He's, he's seen the scripture. He's heard the gospel. I just don't understand. And then two days later, we get a phone call from Brandy, his wife. And um, Brandy says, I, I, I just want to tell you guys. In fact, I think we have a picture of Ben and Brandy. Anyway, yeah, there's so that's kind of a montage of their pictures and through the years. Um, and uh, she said, I just want you to know that the night before we moved, Ben came to faith and he got down next to his bed and he received Jesus. But he didn't want you to know because he knew you'd want to baptize him. <laughs> and I said, well, that's right. And I said, I'm pretty sure there's some water in California um, or near it. We can find a way to baptize him. I'll just go out there and baptize him. Well, that never happened. But two years ago, I had a chance to go back to Farmington. And they were there at the same time uh, the, uh, at a church where, where Brandy was in my youth ministry. And Ben said, you know what? I want to get baptized. Awesome. Unbeknownst to me, I get there that day. And you know what? Ben's dad is in the baptistry too, and the pastor of Emmanuel Farmington um, baptized him because of Ben's uh, testimony and witness to what God was doing in his life. There's a unique thing when you become a part of the fellowship of the king. And I, man, I, I love being here when you guys are walking around. Sometimes it drives me crazy, um, Danny, to be honest, because you're singing. You guys are doing this wonderful song, and people are walking around and talking. But you know what? The fellowship is amazing. It's so warm, and I see you guys um, shaking hands and hugging and just catching up on each other's weeks. And that is so important and so healthy, and it's just amazing to just hear you guys talk and love on each other. So thank you for just modeling that. Because I think people from the outside are going to come in here and be like, whoa, okay, man, I got touched by 10 people today. That's a lot. So if you're here for the first time and you got touched a lot today, it's because we love you and we want you to be a part of the fellowship of the king. And that's okay. And that's okay. All right? But Ben came to faith because of being a part of the fellowship of the king. I want us to look at that today from Acts um, chapter 2. So let me jump in and and begin reading um, here in chapter 2. And I'm going to start off in, in verse 37. It says this, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and he said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for all your children and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. 
So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And so I want us to jump in and look at this, but I just need the Lord to help me this morning to communicate well and to make sure that what I'm saying is what he wants communicated. So let's just pause for a minute. God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for this fellowship of, of, of the King, Lord, that's here in this part of Albuquerque, New Mexico. God, I'm grateful for the relationships that are here because they're centered around you, Jesus. There's a lot of things that we could gather about, God, today, um, whether it was sports or um, a, a food, a restaurant or other relationships. But Lord, we're gathered here today around you, Jesus. And that's where we find our true fellowship. So as we look at this today, would you help me to communicate well, to communicate effectively, God, that we would hear exactly what you would have us to hear from this this um, text. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So the first thing I just want to point out this morning is we join the fellowship of the King through repentance. It's very clear in this text. We see in verse 37, it says here, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the rest of the, uh, of the uh, or they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter, the very first thing he said was repent. Now remember, this is right after the um, uh, sermon at Pentecost. And so Peter's preaching and he's talking about why Jesus was crucified and even looks him in the eyes and says, uh, it's your fault. And um, because of this, they're cut to the heart because the spirit of God is moving and working and they hear the gospel message and they say, what do we do? And Peter says, repent. You've got to change your minds. It's from the Latin word repenir, to think again. Greek word metanoia, change your mind like metamorphosis. We've got to change our thinking. We've got to say, you know what? The way I've been living life is the way that I've been trying to, not the way that the Lord wants me to. I've got to repent and change from this. And that's what he um, says. And um, unfortunately, there was a bad translation um, that uh, one of our uh, main churches in America picked up. And the translation actually said, was like this, do penance and repent. And that was a really bad translation because what happens is that church basically says, listen, you've got to go to another guy and tell him all your issues and your problems and then let him kind of decide if you're forgivable or not. And in this passage, listen, we got direct access to Jesus, to to the Father. And so in here, he says, listen, repent, change your mind through prayer. So that's the better translation. That's the only translation for this. And then he says, be baptized. Now, we know that's not a prerequisite for salvation. The water is simply symbolic. And so we'll look at that in a few minutes in this passage a little bit more in depth. And then finally, look in verse 39. He says, for the, pro- you'll, um, for the promises for you and for your children and all who are far off. Do you know anybody who's far from God? Every single one of us in this room at some point was far from God, according to Ephesians. We were enemies of God, apart from him, because we just wanted to do things our own way. And so Peter is saying here, hey, listen, there was a promise. And if we look back at chapter 1, that's the promise that was given to Abraham is what he's talking about. That the Holy Spirit someday was going to come and he was going to make things right in our hearts because of Jesus coming on the cross. And so in this, he's saying, listen, the promise is for you and everyone who's far off. So listen, if you're here today and you're kind of like, man, I don't know. I feel far from God. There is a promise that says you don't have to stay there. It says everyone whom the Lord calls to himself, because that's what he's doing. 
The Lord Jesus, when he's lifted up, draws people to himself. That's one of the reasons that we come in and worship. Yes, he's worthy and we should come in here regardless of what's going on in our lives and how we feel about how good God is. Because the scripture says he's a good God and we can come in here and we can worship him and his glory. Have you ever changed your mind about something and uh, you were glad that you did? Um, 1980s parachute pants, right? I mean, that was a good idea at one point. But if you're wearing them today, that's a bad idea. In fact, it was probably a bad idea then, unless you were jumping out of an airplane or something. But it was just something that was, you know, kind of in. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's something else that you thought was a really good idea at some point, And now you know it's not a good idea. Well, that's what repent means. Repent is saying, you know what, man, I thought I was going the right way, but I repented of wearing parachute pants. That is wrong. But I mean, really, look at what Peter's doing. I mean, he's calling them out and he's saying, listen, um, he is, is talking about the fact that, that Jesus was raised up in verse 32 of that chapter preceding this. He says, we're all witnesses of this. And he's helping them understand, listen, you did some things in ignorance. You didn't know maybe that you were crucifying Jesus or who he was. You should have known because you had the Old Testament. And it was replete with references to who he was and foreshadowing his coming. And yet, you know what? We've got to change our mind about Jesus. Everyone is far from God at some time. Now, hostility towards him varies. I live in Knob Hill. The hostility is very different there towards the church anyway, sometimes towards, towards God. But hearing what the gospel of what Jesus did at the cross, that suffering and shame on your behalf, can change your mind because of the loving sacrifice that he gave. See, he's a king that wants the best for all of his willing subjects. He wants to be the leader that you've always wanted. No president, regardless of who gets elected next month, is going to fulfill that desire for your leader that you need in your life. Jesus alone can do that. He's the only one. So why in the world as Christians would we get on Facebook and rant and be so angry about who's supporting this person or this person or this person? Man, I'm tired of it. And it's just crazy because you know what? Every single one of those guys is going to leave us, or gal, is going to leave us wanting at some point. Because only Jesus is a compassionate, true leader. But see, to join a fellowship with the king, you've got to bow your heart, your desires, and your will through repentance. Second thing, though, baptism doesn't save, but it's the great symbol of our repentance. Look at verse 40 with me. It says, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so, um, oh, let me keep going. So, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So, it shows the importance of baptism. Man, I can't imagine what it would be like to see 3,000 people get saved in one day. I mean, we'd have to keep refilling the baptistry, you know, after going through all those baptisms. I mean, it would take a long time to be able to, to do that. Now, we know Jesus was baptized in Mark chapter 1, verse 9. And so some people, you know, number one, it's so he could identify um, with us and show us what it is um, to, uh, in his death that we could be identified with him. Some would say that that was a symbolic thing because he was going to be our priest. And in the Old Testament, in, in Leviticus 8, the priest had to be um, consecrated and prepared for that act of service. I don't, theologians just kind of vary on that, but the reality is, is that baptism always follows repentance. And that's how we symbolize our fellowship with the king 
um, through baptism. So in verse 40, Peter keeps um, preaching. And then it's interesting because he uses the word save. It's the same word that's used about Jesus in Matthew um, one twenty one. And unfortunately, and we're going to try a poll here real quick. So my version says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. How many of you have, that's what it says, save yourselves. Okay. How many of you have a version that says, let yourselves be saved? And it's more passive. Because a few of you guys... To be honest, six out of ten of the translations that I've um, checked, and, and this, this particular original word is this imperative, but it's in the passive voice. It's really better translated, let yourselves be saved. This will be easy to run to this and to be like, okay, hey man, I can save myself. No, you can't. Repentance always follows the Lord, drawing us to himself. It's something that Jesus did. We can't do anything to save ourselves. And so in this passage, it's helping us to understand that, hey, let yourselves be saved. They're crying out and say, what should we do? Let yourselves be saved. God's working in your mind and in your heart. He's preparing you to make a decision of repentance. Get, you know, do that. Because sometimes we get in a situation where we, we believe that God's speaking to us and it's the right thing to do, and we don't want to do it. Or, or, or there's something that's keeping us from wanting to take that step. At the end of the service, I'm going to give an opportunity for you to come up and talk to Stephen or, um, or Bruce or someone else, take them by the hand and say, you know what, I need Jesus, I need to repent. And if you've never done that today, you have an opportunity to do that. So verse 41, following the pattern that was established by Jesus in the Great um, um, Commission, those who receive the gospel message repent, die to themselves, and then they're baptized in water to show the outwardly um, uh, symbol of what took place inwardly. But you know, church, when we come into the fellowship of the King, when we die to ourselves, that means we die to a lot of different stuff. And if we're going to be in here together, we can't hold on to our own preferences and desires about the way that we think everybody else ought to act or the way that we think everybody else ought to dress or the way that we think that the worship style should be or what time we should have worship or what kind of preaching style we should be having or any of those things. Now, granted, there are some things that are off the table. If a guy comes in and he's preaching and he never opens this and never explains from the Word of God, there's a problem. But, guys, I'm just afraid that oftentimes as Christians, we just start fighting about the wrong things. And that really messes up the fellowship of believers. And then the world out there looks and says, why would I want to be a part of that? I got that at home. Right? I don't, I don't need that anywhere else. Um, I want to tell you a story about baptism. So in our Baptist denomination, obviously, we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. One day there was a preacher... And uh, he and his family went over to a, a friend's home out in the country. This, this guy was a f- farmer. They go out there, and um, after the meal, the children went outside to play, and they went out behind the barn. And uh, the, the adults are sitting out there on the porch drinking iced tea or you know, whatever you do in the country. And so there they are, and, and it gets kind of quiet. And they're wondering, well, what? What's going on out there behind the, the barn? And so we know we got to go check on that. And so the pastor and um, the, the adults get up and they sneak around to the side of the barn and they peek around and just in time to see um, the pastor's six-year-old daughter holding a cat over a barrel of water. And she's trying to be as solemn as her father. And she says, uh, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and in the hole you go. <laughs> and isn't that profound? 
I mean, that's really the picture of baptism, isn't it? In the hole we go. Baptism symbols that death that happens on the inside. It's an outward symbol and it shows that we've died to our idols. We've died to things that we hold on to to give us meaning in life. And we die to any preferences that we would have so that when we come in here together, our only preferences have to come underneath the word of God. God's word's got to be here and anything else that we think is important has to be here unless it's in, unless it's in the word of God. Um, baptism does signify the believer dying, being put in the hole, coming back out with new life. So we know that Romans 6, theologically, Paul says when we repent and baptize, we die to ourselves. We're given this new life. Remember the last time I came here, you guys had a baptism, and, I, and that's awesome. And then I know Bruce's, uh, one of his children came forward on that day to, to be baptized. What, a, what an awesome thing. Thank you, guys, because we've got Baptist churches in New Mexico that saw zero baptisms last year. So thank you guys for continuing to share the gospel. But we give up our preferences and idols and ways of life contrary to the gospel. But you know the last thing, third thing is this. When we're baptized, we also are joined in fellowship with other believers. And so we look at verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that amazing that people would come together, they would repent, they'd be baptized, showing their change. They bond together, and then they begin to devote themselves to four things that we're going to look at. And I think because of that, the Lord begins to add to their number. Because they're faithfully devoting themselves to Jesus, the Word of God, and to one another. And that's important. And so let's take a look at these things for just a few minutes. In verse 42, when it says devoted, that word literally means steadfast strength toward. In fact, oftentimes in a church, you know, we don't like this or we don't like that. And now we're gone. That is vote with our feet or with our pocketbook. If I don't like where the money's going, then I'm, not, I'm going to withhold my, my tithe. If I don't like how the music's going or this, I'll vote with my feet and I'll go somewhere else. And that's contrary to what this says right here in verse 42. They steadfastly, with intense effort, they stayed in this fixed direction. And probably here, despite a lot of difficulty, they said, no, I'm committed and I'm devoted to these things and these people. Because of Jesus and what he's done in my life. So let's look at the first one. The apostles teaching. There's the four things that are here. And the New American Standard shows that there is that um, definite article, the, in front of all of these except the last one. And so that's kind of interesting that it would be the apostles' teaching. 
So we believe that there was some type of corpus of, 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 of doctrine and, and teaching that they had at this time. And we see evidences of that in Philippians and then even in 1 Corinthians 15 and some other places that they're, probably they were already gathering some doctrinal beliefs that they were holding on to and everybody was teaching um, together. And so that's why um, Luke could write and say it was the apostles' teaching. There's this sense of core and center of the teachings that they had. Now, that word is the Greek word didache. That happens 30 times in the New Testament for teaching. It means teaching or doctrine. That really, this didache denotes Christ's message and ultimately with this call to repentance and faith. Okay? The earliest Christian preaching in this widest sense encompassed this. Now, there's a different word that's used in some other places, and I don't typically get this um, technical, but there's some specific reasons why I'm doing this. Um, Another word is a word, kerygma, and that's another word that's used for teaching, but that's typically preaching the gospel, just a very basic preaching of the gospel. So kerygma is something that you preach first for people to hear the gospel, the, um, the perfect life, the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus. The Didache, which is here, the Apostles' teaching, has that as its core, but now it's surrounded by some doctrinal truths and some things that are held to by the church. So he's using the word Didache here, which is teaching, so they've got some core doctrines that are central um, to this um, as well now. Um, and so I just want to point out just a couple of places. You can write these down if you want to, but you don't have to. In Mark one twenty-seven, Jesus had authoritative Didache. It's the same word that's used there. So Jesus has this teaching, this authority. And so we know the Sermon on the Mount. There were several other things that he did later on where it was this teaching and there was some doctrinal truth that was there. So that's one of the things that they're um, holding on to. We know in Romans that Paul used the same word to talk about doctrine. But the one that I love, because this is one of the later letters written in the New Testament, is from 2 John um, 1, nine, And John writes about abiding in the Didache, or the teaching of Christ. And that's significant. Because what happens, you guys, in a lot of churches is this. I hear people that say, well, I just want some deeper teaching. I just want to get in there where the pastor is going to teach deep. I want a Sunday school class where we're going to get some deep teaching. Listen, there is no deeper teaching than the cross and Jesus crucified and the ramifications of what that means for our daily life. That is the deepest teaching. And so at any point, if we get ourselves feeling like, man, I got the gospel down. I'm not sure that I need to hear that. We're wrong. We've got to repent from that because Jesus even said in John chapter 5, 39, that the scriptures pointed to him. The Jews thought that they could find eternal life just by getting into the scriptures. And he said, listen, all of those things point to me. And so all I just want to say on this point is this. Whenever you guys, and you've got a, a search committee that's looking for the next person that's going to be your pastor, and, I, and you've got some wonderful people, I understand, on that um, team. Um, whoever comes in here should let the text point to Christ in everything that he preaches. The text is not the point. It's not the point that we get in here and that we can um, parse every single word correctly. Or this, If, if it doesn't point us to Jesus then it's not being done for the right reasons. 
And so I, you know, you guys have a wonderful history of preaching. And I'm just asking for you to continue to look at that. And the cross would be the place that hides every preacher that's here. The next thing is this, then, the fellowship. Again, definite article, so it's the fellowship that's descriptive of this group. And that word can also be um, uh, 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 translated as partnership. It's used 19 times in the New Testament. It's translated partnership, participation, communion, and fellowship in all those different ways. And um, in here, uh, you, in, in Philippians chapter 1, 5, Paul uses that word. And he says, uh, hey, I thank you for your partnership in the gospel. And I don't think there's any better um, commendation that could come from an apostle or someone saying, Church, I thank you for your partnership in the gospel. And so first, that is West, thank you for your partnership in the gospel. You guys are making a difference. You're seeing people baptized. You are giving to missions efforts around the globe. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. But the other piece is this. In Luke chapter 5, verse 7, Simon and his buddies had been fishing all night long, right? And they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus comes out, and you know, he'd had a nap, and he had rest, and he's bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to excel. And he comes up, and he looks at them, and he says, "Um, Hey, guys, um, did you catch anything? I mean, isn't that the worst question you can ask a fisherman? Okay, thanks. Um, Yeah, just this minnow. And uh, Peter's like, no, we didn't catch anything. We fished all night. And uh, Jesus said, well, put it on the other side of the boat, a little bit further on the other side of the boat. And they do, and you know the story. Their nets get so full that they start breaking, and they're trying to pull. You know what's interesting? In this passage in Luke chapter 5, verse 7, Simon's crew, they needed koinonia. That's the word that's used. They needed fellowship. In your Bible, the word that's going to be used is partners. They called to their partners to come in and help them out. Listen, fellowship has very little to do with casseroles and hanging out in that room that's named the such and such fellowship hall. That's part of it. But fellowship in the Bible, the fellowship is all about us together as a band of brothers and sisters who have a task to do as partners. We are partners in the gospel. That's why we band together to link arms and put away um, differences and, and, and arguments and things that would sidetrack us from being able to show the world what an amazing, loving, conciliatory God we serve. And then in 1 John 1, 3, the same word that's used, the fellowship centers around Jesus. It's because our fellowship is, yes, with the Father. And that's how, how we have fellowship with one another. I would guess that the majority of people in this room don't hang out together on Friday night. I mean, how many of you guys, when's the last time everybody in this room went bowling together? Now, some of you do. There's pockets of people. You hang out and you do things together. But you know what? Our fellowship, what draws us together in partnership is the Father and Jesus the Son. That's why we gather and come together. Next one, though, is the breaking of bread. And so um, some of you go, yeah, that's my kind of fellowship, right? That's my kind of fellowship right there. Those rolls at the end of the, of the potluck line. That's what I live for. Well, in this... Um, The breaking of bread. Now, bread is used a whole bunch of times in the New Testament. That word here, about 97 times. But the word for breaking, 
only two times in the New Testament. And the other time that it's used, if you remember, is um, when there's a couple of disciples walking on the road um, and they see Jesus, but they don't really know who he is. And they invite him in and he breaks the bread and it says they recognized him. That's the only other place that this word break is used in the New Testament. So we know that this had something to do with the symbolism of Jesus' body being broken for us. And so the breaking of bread in this case is all about that. In fact, it was kind of this cake or cake type, well, it's round. It's about as thick as your thumb, as large as a platter, about the size of some of my first tortillas. Um, kind of like that. Man, those things are gooey. Um, but that's kind of what and they break um, the, the bread there. But they had recognized Jesus when he broke the bread. He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And that's why we gather and do that here. And I don't know how often you do that. But when we gather and we break the bread, it's so that Jesus can be known among us as the one whose body was broken. Last one is this, the prayers. So it means that some of these were, were, were specific. Um, um, the prayer to God, that word literally means a prayer towards in fact, in, in some translations, it almost means an exchange or, or, or giving a wish towards him. So this is totally um, towards God and, and to him. Four of the six uses of this are in a corporate setting. And so I don't know what type of, of prayer time you have together corporately, but I can tell you this. The churches today that are praying together corporately and sharing the gospel daily out in the marketplace, those are the churches that are seeing the world changed. And so when we gather together in prayer and have corporate prayer times and we entreat the Lord together and pray towards him, Lord, who are you going to send us to lead us as a flock? God, what do you want us to do in this neighborhood? Lord, what nation should we send people out to? God, is there a place in New Mexico that needs the gospel that some of us could go to to share the gospel? That's what we should be doing is praying towards um, him and asking him those things. The other time in Acts that that same word is used is Acts one fourteen in all one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer. And then pretty soon after that, the Holy Spirit showed up. So I'm going to finish this here. Look at verse 43 with me. Because they had devoted themselves to those things, and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That means that every soul, even the non-believers, there's amazing things that are happening because these believers are so into um, the fellowship, the, 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 the doctrine and teaching, the breaking of bread and prayers, that there's this awe, this fear on everybody and wonders and signs are being done. So look at what happens in verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together, had things in common. They're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing uh, the proceeds to all as any had in need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Now that's actually eaten. We'll talk about that in a second. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And then I love this and having favor with all the people. So I don't have any idea what the rest of um, Taylor Ranch or this part of Albuquerque thinks when they think of your church. But in this case, everybody else was looking and going, man, I don't know what's happening there. Something's happening. Dang, this God must be real. Wow. 
whatever's going on there. Those people love each other. Those people are holding on to this Jesus who gave his life for them, and it matters. It has made a difference in everything that they're doing. And so this awe comes over them, and everybody looks at this, and it says the Lord added to their day, their number daily, those who were being saved. Now, in verse 44 and 45, all who, they had this community. Now, they're voluntarily sharing with others in need. This could be because there was some money sanctions going on. People leaving um, the Jewish faith. And so now, oh, I'm not buying uh, widgets from you. Uh, I, you know, there could have been some economic sanctions is what a lot of people think because these people have turned their back, much like would happen in some other faith that I'll, I'll, I'll show on that name this morning. Um, but there was this generosity and devotion to one another, which was infectious. Now, I highly kind of—I just dislike the way that our schools expect for me to bring toilet paper and pencils and everything else for all the other kids in the class these days. And if you're a teacher, this is not on you. Um, that's just frustrating to me to come in and bring a pack of pencils, and then later my son doesn't have one, and now the teacher is going to charge him fifty cents to get a pencil. Now, what I'll tell you that I, I'm thankful for is that my son got kind of. Uh, uh, capitalistic, and he brought his own pencils and started selling them for a quarter to undercut um, the teachers at school. And I thought, okay, that's good. That'll work really well. Um, I'm okay with. I'm okay with that. But you know, it's interesting because um, they come in and it's, hey, here's a list of things you've got to do. And, and, and if they would come in and just say, hey, if you want to buy some extra things for other people, then we would love for you to be a part of helping. But it's almost like you get this list, and if you don't show up with it, your kid doesn't get in the classroom that morning. And that's just frustrating. But these people were so changed, they wanted to. They were so ready to give generosity and and share with those who had in need. And some of you in this room have probably experienced that because some of you are very generous people in this room. And I thank God for you. And we've experienced that in different churches we've been in and other places. We've been the ones that have had a chance to be able to to give. Um, You know, even in that classroom example, my my daughter, uh, their class had a, a president uh, that was elected every year, I mean, every week for the class, and they needed a, a nice, you know, chair. To, well, I went and bought one because I thought, well, that's kind of cool. So I went and bought this $15 office chair, nice leather used chair, and put it in there, and, and I was happy to do that. But it wasn't on my list saying, hey, you know, make sure you bring the president's chair in. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll work on that. But there was this devotion to these practices that helped them get to know Jesus better, help them get to know one another better and to proclaim the gospel regularly. They were so changed that they wanted to bless others. And yet sometimes we come to church and we want our pew and our Bible study at this time, and that's not really right for my schedule, and man, I can't sing that song, it's too high, and you know, if he would just preach this way, because you know, we've been in this book for 10 years, and you know, this one over here, um, it's just, man, he's going all over the place. Listen, I understand that some of those things can be really frustrating. And if a guy does not stay anchored to the text and say, that's a problem. But we can't fight over some of those things that are just preference. We can't do that. The world needs to see this display of devotion to God and to his people that supersedes anything they've ever experienced. And that's when people are going to come to faith. And the Lord's going to add to your number. And so... 
In verse 46, it says that they met corporately. They're keeping this connection to some of their Jewish roots as, as this change is being made over to Christian church at this time. And then, guys, you'll love this one in verse 46 when it says that they ate meals. That word is actually a substantial meal. I mean, I don't know, I don't know that it means, means meat and potatoes, but it means that they got full. Because every other place in the New Testament that word is, is, is used, it means that they're satisfied. I got enough. That's Texas Roadhouse, baby, or whatever it is. And so it was fulfilling. And so they had these glad and generous hearts. They praised God and had favor with all the people, even those that weren't believers. You see, this is a picture of the kingdom of God on earth. This is what it looks like to be in fellowship with the king as we're in fellowship with one another. People in the fellowship of the king living out lives that are devoted to him and to each other. Remember that word devoted means steadfastly staying in there. So guys, there's going to be some of you in the room that are going to be like, man, we don't have a regular preacher. I'm not sure I'm going to come here every week. Why? Are you... Are you devoted to that preacher? Are you devoted to Jesus? Are you devoted to the fellowship that's here called First Baptist West Albuquerque? Stay in it and devote yourselves to the teaching that's going on here, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, and to the fellowship. Hang in there and all the while praying for one another. And God's going to bless you. And he's going to bring the right person to continue to lead you if he's not already here. And so I just look forward to those, those days. Let's pray, and then we're going to go into a time of invitation.